What does it really mean to say that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, Home Bible Studies in Hebrews. We're going to look at study number six, a greater priesthood. And this passage being considered is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 5, verse 10. It's Andrew here uh, from Culloden Christian Assembly. Trust you'll uh, be blessed as we look again at the Word of God together. Now, one of the first things we have to do, I think, when we look at this subject is paint a little bit of the background picture. Um, If you were um, a first century Jew, you would understand a lot of things about the the priesthood, uh, the Jewish priesthood uh, and the high priest that we don't understand naturally as Gentiles today. And really we have to understand the basics of the high priesthood and priesthood um, for us to understand the implications of what we read in these chapters. So we're we're going to study from chapter 4, 14 to 5, 10, but it'll be in the second half of the podcast that we come to it, and hopefully then we'll be putting the jigsaw pieces together. Um, we're going to, first of all, uh, look a little bit of the background so that we can get up to speed with where these Jewish readers would have been at, at least in a little bit. Um, for instance, if I was to say to my boy Isaac that there's this great racing driver coming to visit, he might be really excited because he understands what a racing driver is but if i was to say to him that a great epidemiologist was coming to visit us well he doesn't know what an epidemiologist is and he he, he wouldn't probably be that uh, intrigued by it because it doesn't seem to relate to his life uh, and so so really when, when we speak about the high priest of the lord jesus we're in danger of being like that i think in the west from a western perspective because we don't know the importance and the significance of having a high priest uh, to the ancient israelite So let's um, sort of cut to the chase and try to get an understanding of what it really meant to be a high priest in the Old Testament. First question I've put in the handout, and you can get the handout from me, or um, if you're looking at it, um, you should be able to download it from the the podcast, um, unless you're an Apple podcast. But anyway, you can still get it if you go to the other, the web podcast, Claude and Christian Assembly, uh, Home Bible Study. Uh, podcast should get you there. Um, anyway, if you've downloaded the handwritten, you're looking at it at the minute, uh, you'll notice the first question I ask is, what was a high priest's job? Well, really, um, when I was doing the study itself, um, we thought of one more question that we slipped in at the start. Who was the first high priest of Israel? And of course, uh, some folks thought it was actually a trick question, but it wasn't. Uh, Exodus 29, the first high priest of Israel was um, clearly Aaron. Um, We'll come back to another priest who was about before Aaron, but that's another subject that we'll look at later on. So who was the first high priest of Israel? Exodus 29 and 9, that that whole area of chapter 29 where he's been inaugurated as the high priest of Israel. It's after the, the Ten Commands being given, it's after the Sinai the covenant at Sinai was made uh, with people and so on. And, and God has is establishing the, the, the whole Levitical structure and, and the tabernacle, the place where he would dwell, as it were, among his redeemed people and the pictures that are involved in that. And there was one man who was selected to be the high priest of Israel. Now, another question we might ask, and it's the second question on that and on the overhead, but it was the first question um, in, in the handout, which is what uh, was a high priest's 
job. Turn with me, please, to Exodus and chapter 28. Um, I'll read uh, Exodus 28. Um, and we'll read uh, two verses here, verse number 12 and verse number 29. Uh, verse number 12 Verse number 12, it says, um, And you shall set the two stones and the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Now I'm reading from the ESV here because I think it's a little bit clearer. And then we go down to verse number uh, 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So Aaron was given these special clothes to wear. It tells us about Exodus 28 as as the high priest. Uh, And those special clothes speak to us um, in the kind of picture form of the role and, and the job of the high priest. Um, he had this important role. He was going to represent the people before God. He was going to bring them to remembrance in God's immediate presence. You see, uh, on the Great Day of Atonement, this is sort of Le- uh, Leviticus 16. This is what, what the Jews still speak about, a Yom Kippur. Well, when... when the priest, the high priest, went into the immediate presence of God. He could only do it on that day in the year. And he came in with the blood of atonement. Um, that which spoke about the sins of the people uh, and how God was accepting the, the sacrifice in, in, uh, you know, instead of the sin in that sense. Um, and, and of course it pictures the Lord Jesus as the great propitiation. When we think about that later on. But, but just at this time, just... We have this idea of Aaron, and, and he has on his shoulders two stones. And, and on those two stones are graved, engraved on these valuable stones, are the names of the children of Israel. And then he has another breastplate upon his heart, and, and the 12 stones on the breastplate, each one specific, each one um, of its own character, and these 12 different precious stones, and one name is placed on each. And... And what is being said there is, is, is that here we have the high priest of Israel going into God's immediate presence, representing the people to God. There, there's this kind of barrier at this point because God is so holy uh, and, and yet they can, the, this high priest can go in into the immediate presence of God as a representative of the people. Now, he didn't take those, you know, garments of glory and beauty when he went into the presence of God they had a teaching element for us when he went into the very presence of God if I remember correctly he was wearing his linen uh, garments but in saying that the symbolism is there and so there's a sense in which he is the representative of a redeemed people in God's presence now we're going to see how significant that is about us as um, the redeemed people of God and what it means for us to have our great high priest in God's presence for us, um, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the high priest's job was to represent the people before God. If you wanted to put it uh, in simple terms, a high priest was to represent the people before God and in a sense to teach God to the people. So there were ways in which he was, but that was secondary and bring blessing to the people. 
It was a mediatorial role in the sense that he went between the people and God. Now, this is this idea of a priestly caste is not in Christianity. We are all born priests in that sense. We all are able to get in, we're going to see, in the, into the immediate presence of God, not not only part of the way as priests would have got, um, but we can go right with our, with our high priests. We can go right into the immediate presence of God. Uh, and we are, we're each a priest. It's not like there's just some um, believers who are priests, um, like like the sort of um, Anglican clergy idea, um, or, or or the Roman Catholic idea that that they almost have a mediatorial role. That is not the in anywhere sanctioned in the New Testament. And so, it's important that we understand that that we have this uh, wonderful privilege of coming into God's presence as a priest, and what that means, we'll think of. In a little bit, but anyway, coming back to the questions, then. So we have uh, what was high priest's job? He represented the people before God. He brought gifts and offerings and sacrifices to God from the people. Why was a high priest important to Israel? Well, we've thought a little bit about the Great Day of Atonement, and what happened there was he went into God's presence representing the people, and he put the blood on the mercy seat um, and 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 sprinkled blood before. Um, the mercy seat, I should say, um, and he he had this privilege of going right into the presence of God and representing the people there as as their great high priest or their, as our high priest, I should say. Now, what about interesting stories about high priests? Well, um, in First Samuel chapter one verse nine, you'll remember the story of Hannah and Eli. Hannah um, was was meant to be coming. Um, well, he had come with, with the family and she was barren. And you remember the awful state of the nation. The word of the Lord was rare. Uh, and, and, and there was awful sin going on around the tabernacle. Sadly, Eli, the high priest, his sons were involved in this depraved behavior. And here comes Hannah, a, a lady who's barren, who seems to have nothing. But she cries unto God. She's got a big prayer. And she prays to the Lord for a son. And she wants a son not for herself, but so that she can give him to the Lord. So he can use him for his service in the way that he sees fit. So that the nation can be turned around. So she calls unto the Lord for, well, Samuel, as you may know now. And, and, and well, um, Eli sees her and he looks at her and he says, why are you drunken? Uh, don't put you know, put drink, drink away from me. And he was, in a sense, t- uh, showing us what a high priest was not meant to be like. They were meant to represent the people, so they were meant to be marked by compassion and care and understanding, because they were going to take the people's thoughts into God's immediate presence. They they were going to they were going to represent the people in in a true way. That was their idea, and and in that sense, intercede on their behalf. Okay, so so sadly, there's a, a man who wasn't acting as a high priest should act, and we we know the sad end of of Eli and his family um, because of their awful sin. But how is Christ our high priest? Well, I think what we need to do now is go backwards in the Bible, right to the very. Um, start to to Genesis chapter fourteen. Genesis chapter fourteen. Um, there's a really wonderful passage way back there, right um, near the very beginning of the Bible, uh, and it tells us a story of of a man who's very unusual called Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek. It'll tell us in chapter fourteen and verse number um, 
18, Abraham, the great father of the whole nation of Israel, from whom Levi would come, and from Levi, Aaron would come. And you remember the Aaronic priesthood. Well, we're going right back to when Abraham was about, that great man of faith. Well, he has just defeated these kings, and he's going back, and he's going to face the, the, the king of Sodom, who's wanting to give him um, or, or to embroil him in something. There's a bit of a trap going on. Um, and, and he's going to say, just you can keep all the goods for yourself. And, and Abraham's going to stand up to the temptation and say, no, I don't want anything of your goods because I don't want you to say you made Abraham rich uh, because I don't live the same kind of life as you live. And I'm not going to take that temptation. You'll remember the story. Well, right just when the king of Sodom is coming out, Okay, um, let's look at verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. So I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the most high God. And, and he blessed them. Blessed be Abraham, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be the Most High God who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, all of a sudden the king of Salem fades into the background. And the king of Sodom comes and says to Abraham, give me the persons, take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hands to the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. And you say, well, well, what's that got to do with? Well, let's just think about this for a minute. Abraham has been blessed by coming in contact with someone who um, is a king and a priest. Now, that's a very unusual thing. Um, the priesthood had to be separate from the king, the king, uh, the kings in Israel. And there's a reason for that. They split kings and priests and prophets. And, and, and of course, that's something that's still done today in a sense. You, you split up the power at the top or else the danger is all the power goes to one person who can't control it. And because he's not, he, he is a flawed man. And, and, and so you have the priest and he's, he represents the people before God, the high priest. You've got the prophet. He speaks for God and he re- brings the revelation of God to the people. And you've got the king and he rules for God and he listens to the prophet and he benefits from the services of the priest. Uh, and yet you remember Uzziah, um, the king that, that, who was doing well, it would seem, and then he, his heart was lifted up and he wanted to go into God's presence and become a king priest. Um, and God had never given him that and, and he was struck down with leprosy and he died. And it tells us in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up upon his throne and his train filled the temple. We've got a throne in the temple and we've got this idea of, of kingliness and priestliness associated with this wonderful vision of the Lord. Uh, and, and here we have an unusual man right back at the beginning. And he was both a king and a priest. And it was before Levi ever came into existence. He was in the loins of Abraham and tells us, we'll think about this another time. Uh, and, and here we have Abraham and he comes along to this man and, and he gives tithes to him. He recognises his importance and, and and in that sense, this priesthood that we're talking about here, Melchizedek's, the Melchizedekian priesthood, in a sense is more important than the Levitical priesthood or 
the Aaronic priesthood maybe more accurately. So, okay, keep that in mind. So this is way before we learn about Aaron becoming a high priest for Israel. Now, there's wonderful pictures that are going to spawn out of Aaron's being a high priest and, and coming into God's presence. And we've already spoke about some of them uh, and how the Lord Jesus, in that sense, represents us in God's presence. And he has us on his heart and on his shoulder. And there's significance in all these beautiful pictures. But remember that Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. Okay, and to be a, a priest, you needed to be from the tribe of Levi. In fact, need, you needed to be from the house of Aaron as well. So it's important we we understand these these things in the background. But let's go right. Let's slip forward in our mind to the Psalms. So we've looked at um, Moses. Now we're looking at the second big division in a sense, the way the Lord divided it and looked at chapter twenty-four, uh, Psalm one hundred and ten. In Psalm 110, this is a psalm of David, so we're moving forward a thousand years or so, and David is speaking, and he says, The Lord Yahweh, or Jehovah, you might say, an older way of saying Yahweh, um, says to my Lord, my Lord. So here's King David, and everybody knew by this time that it tells us in First um, Samuel 7 that that the Lord Jesus, or sorry, the Messiah, I should say, the Messiah would come from David and so here's David speaking about the Messiah and he says the Lord Yahweh speak, speaks to my Lord the one who is my superior um, and he says sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool and of course we all know what that means now don't we it's quoted so many times in the New Testament the Lord Jesus is in God's right hand he's the Messiah there at God's right hand until God makes his enemies his footstool however the Lord Jesus uses it you'll remember in uh, the story, or sorry, in, in the Gospels. He, he brings this out and he'll tell them these wonderful things. He'll say, he'll say, David, why did he call him Lord? I mean, after all, he's David's son, so how could he be his Lord? And of course, he's teasing out how the fact that the, the, the Lord Jesus is not only the the offspring of David. He's not only a son of David, but he is David's Lord. He is, he is, this is the humanity and deity, the deity of the Lord Jesus brought together so beautifully. Uh, and that's only found in the Lord himself. But look at verse number four. This is, uh, this is David speaking to the Messiah. So the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the Messiah is going to be a priest, a kingly priest. He is going to be a priest, but, and it's not after the order of Aaron, he's not going to be an Aaronic priesthood, a priest, but he's going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you say, why is that significant? Well, how is Christ our high priest? Well, he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's sprang out of Judah. We'll find that out. Um, he, he was from the kingly tribe that the son of David would be from, of course, Um but how can he be a priest as well? Well, he can be a priest as well because he's not after the order of Aaron. But he's after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you, you go into the prophetic passages and it'll tell us that there's one who's going to reign and he'll be a priest upon his throne. Uh, Zechariah uh, brings that out. And he'll unite the two offices in himself so beautifully. Now, I'm not quite finished yet. It's kind of background still. Let's think for a minute about the differences between the two biblical priesthoods we've talked about. So you have the Aaronic or 
priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood that was associated with the nation of Israel and, and the law of Sinai and all the sacrifices in the tabernacle, these kind of things. And then the Melchizedek priesthood. Well, there's a lot of similarities in the sense that they, you know, they were taken from among men, both of them. Um, you know, Melchizedek was a man and Aaron was a man. Um, they were called by God. Yeah, well, we'll see that uh, is true of both. Aaron was called Exodus uh, 29 and we find out that um, that in, in, in Genesis 14 that he was priest of the Most High God, um, Melchizedek. And, but we do learn something else. We, we learn a contrast here and I'll mention a couple of contrasts. Um, Aaronic, the Aaronic priesthood by, by its very nature was inferior to the superior priesthood of Melchizedek because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So in that sense, Abraham was saying, I am, an, I am inferior in rank to Melchizedek. Um, so he's the great father of the nation, father of the faithful. From him would come Levi and Aaron and all, uh, but he prayed ties to him. So, so the superior priesthood is the Melchizedekian priesthood. Um, the other thing is this. There's real emphasis placed on the fact that Aaron's priesthood passed on to his son at death. You remember what happened at the end of his life. Aaron was taken and stripped of his garments and the garments were placed on his son. And his son, in that sense, became the high priest in his place. It's transferable. It had to be transferred uh, every time. Whereas the Melchizedekian priesthood, there's no thought of transfer associated with it. It never tells us that, you know, Melchizedek's son then became priest, and then Melchizedek's son's son became priest, and then Melchizedek, and so on and so forth. There's no thought of that. It's an untransferable priesthood. Um, now, so that's a beautiful distinction as well. And another thing is this. Um, the Aaronic priesthood is limited to the old covenants associated with the, the nation of uh, Israel and, and the Sinach and the Mosaic Covenant, if you like, um, which which has a limit in lots of ways, but we'll not talk about that just now. But you see the Melchizedekian priesthood, well, that was actually instigated before the Old Covenant was was brought about and instigated. So there, there's this distinction as well. One's linked to the Old Covenant. The Aaronic priesthood is limited to the tribe of Levi. Now, this is clear because they had to be from the tribe of Levi. They actually had to be from the, the family of Aaron if they were to be a priest but there's no limit like that placed upon the Melchizedek the Melchizedekian priesthood um, he was simply a priest of the Most High God it doesn't tell us anything about his lineage in fact it tells us in Hebrews as we'll see in a while um, that he's without father and mother it's not that he didn't have a father and mother Melchizedek it's more that in a book of genealogies there was no reference made to his father or mother or his birth or his death. Why? Because he was symbolising and, and he was pointing forward to um, the Lord Jesus Christ as our great um, high priest. Now the Messiah couldn't be an Aaronic priest. It's obvious really, isn't it? That if the Lord sprang out of Judah and, well, well, at the end of the day, if the Lord sprang out of Judah, he couldn't be out of Levi as well. They were two different um, people and, and two different tribes but the Messiah is a Melchizedekian priest he is called to that Messiah is called to that we thought you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek so he's been made a priest in that way so the Lord Jesus's high priesthood is after the pattern of Aaron people have said but after the order of Melchizedek what's that what's that mean well what it means is there's all these beautiful pictures and you look at these 
garments of glory and beauty. And you see all these pictures that point forward to and are fulfilled in Christ. He is there, typical, and he is the antitype to those. And we'll see this in a, in a minute. Um, so it's after the pattern of Aaron. So, so there was lots of instruction that was being given about the high priest and about approaching God and all that in the Levitical priesthood. However, it's after the order of Melchizedek in the sense that he, it was directly that kind of priesthood. Okay, so it's after the order of Melchizedek. And moving onward, um, I, I suppose to sum it up, as I did in the kind of... Um, not in the handout so much as in the overhead, I pointed this out. He fulfills and develops the pictures of the Aaronic priesthood. In that sense, he is the anti-type. Um, he transcends that priesthood because he is constituted by an oath after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so so looking at all the things that we've learned so far... Um, how is Christ a high priest? Well, he's a high priest in a very unique way. He's not from the tribe of Levi, but he has this untransferable priesthood. Um, he's being made a high priest by an oath. Uh, and you'll see that um, in, in Psalm 110. Uh, they are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so he is our great high priest. You know, I don't think the great's meant to be a capital G here. I think it's important we see it as a small g. Because you see what's happened so far. He's greater than... Yeah, you'll remember it. He's greater than the angels before that, in a sense, although it says it more implicitly, uh, he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. Um, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's now our great high priest. Uh, there were high priests of old, wonderful people, but he is our great high priest. And so that's something we can focus in on. So I think I've done enough uh, sort of background. Hopefully that'll help you to understand the verses that, that we come to. Um, we're, what we're going to do now is briefly run over the explicit verses that I have said so far about our high priest. Now, there are some more hints of it. Like in chapter 1, there's a hint um, in making purification for sins. Uh, that's a hint of, of a priestly work. Um, but when we come to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, this is what we read. I'm reading from the NKJV version. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And then verse 1 of chapter 3, we'll just continue here. Therefore, holy brethren, partaker of the heavenly calling, partaker, sorry, of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So let's think of these two, two passages that have specifically mentioned the Lord Jesus as a high priest so far in our studies. You'll remember back to chapter 2, speaking about the humanity of the Lord, how he came into humanity and, 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 and superiority angels in a, a very specific way. But here it tells us something wonderful about the high priest. He, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to take humanity to himself. We've thought about that. He's, we'll mention it a bit more later that he had to be truly man. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful, he can be marked by fellow feeling and sympathy and and, and empathy, if you like, he, he's able to come alongside. He's, he's able to um, 
be marked by mercy. That was a characteristic. The sympathy of the high priest was an important thing. You'll remember Eli we mentioned already. He didn't show any sympathy. He didn't under he didn't understand what was happening. He thought that Hannah was drunk when actually she was praying to God um, faithfully. So it's important that the high priest must be merciful. But a merciful high priest is not all you need. Because the high priest has to do his job properly if he's going to represent you before God. Yes, he has to understand your case but he also and, and, and enter into it. But he also has to represent you in God's presence in a proper way. He had to do everything right. And so he's not only a merciful, but he's a faithful high priest. He's one who has done everything right in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so this, I think, um, is, is most wonderful uh, because it's speaking a, a bit like the Day of Atonement. It's, it's really speaking about what the Lord does and has done through his death on the cross. He has made propitiation for the sins of the people. And, and so he can go into God's presence in the virtue of the blood that he has sh- shed. And, and he can be our merciful and faithful high priest. Um, we'll stop there. Um, he, he has suffered being tempted, tasted, he's able to aid those who are tested. Again, that's a thought of sympathy being brought out. Okay, so that's the first verse. That's roughly where we got to. Um, we mentioned briefly chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, you know, separate, sanctified, partakers of the heavenly calling. You're not associated with the earthly um, Israel anymore. You're associated with heavenly calling. You've got this wonderful calling. Um, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, he's an apostle. That's chapter one, really. He's come out from God with a mission. He's come out as the sent one on his own, actually, as well. That's the other thing to remember about the apostle here. And, and he comes out for God. We, we've thought about this. And he's the high priest. He goes into God's presence and he's taking with him a company. That's chapter two. And so he comes out from God's presence to represent or reveal God to the people. He he goes into God's presence to represent the people before God. He's he's this wonderful person. He is both. Of our of our confession, Christ Jesus, I consider him. And of course, their minds would have gone back to the great apostle of their nation, the great sent one, Moses and so on. And we thought about that when we were looking at chapter three. He's greater than Moses uh, because of these very reasons. So that's where we've got to with our high priest understanding so far let's look at chapter 4 14 to 16 quickly seeing then that we have this a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need now this is a famous a fabulous passage uh, from the word of god let's think about it in a little bit more detail now notice two things just when you look at the structure of this little um this little paragraph really or two paragraphs if you like um well probably one anyway seeing that we have a great high priest now notice that we have we are in possession of a great high priest uh, we don't need to worry about the eli problem we have a great high priest even the aaron problem he led them astray you'll remember even before he became high priest. Um, we don't have to have, we don't. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold past our confession. Now notice, we have 
and therefore let us hold fast. We have a great high priest, let us hold fast. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. So he's speaking about the character of the high priest now. Um, if you like, you'll see in another, let us now. Let us come boldly. So let us hold fast, let us come boldly. The first one's associated with the first part of this paragraph, the second, the next bit about the high priest. So let's think about those things for a second. We have, that's in possession, a wonderful high priest. That's the point that's being made at the start we have. And then he cares is the next point that's going to be made. Um, because we have, we can hold fast our confession. You see, at the end of chapter 4, what he's been doing is he's been really bringing out the importance of being scrutinized by the word of God. The danger of, of, of people having not really grasped hold of the truth of the message of the gospel and, and trusted fully in the Lord and the danger was they were teetering in the brink of the land. Now he's turning to those who are true and real and he says, listen, you might feel all the weaknesses of the day, but you remember we have a great high priest. We have one who uh, has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let's think of that for a minute. Think of his pathway. Now the priest of old, like you imagine you, you, you confided in him before the great day of atonement or the, whatever uh, and you say listen i am i'm just i have failed in this way or whatever and there you see him and he goes into the very immediate presence of you, you say well he's going in there uh, and he's dealing with the this whole issue of sin and he is going in there and he's representing me before god and you think of him passing through um the different ta- parts of the tabernacle until he's in the immediate presence of god and you say I, I, we have we've uh, we've a high priest there and he's passed through those different stages. And he, he's there in God's presence. Well, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. This isn't some small tent in a wilderness. He has passed right through the heavens. Um, he's passed through the aerial heavens. He's passed through the stellar heavens. But it's not so much as passing through in the, in the way we think, like eventually get to the other side of the stellar heavens, and you know, almost like a, a distance from us. Eventually, if you had a, a spaceship that went fast enough, you'd eventually get to the third heaven, heaven itself, the presence of God. Um, because the, the scripture divides the heavens into three. Uh, there's the third heaven, the immediate presence of God. There's the there's the aerial heavens where the star, where the the birds fly, and there is the stellar heavens where the um, Starshine, if you like, the universe as we know it. But being pa- passing through the heavens, it's going through the veil. It's, it's, going, it's going behind. It's going into another dimension entirely. And so he has passed through the heavens. Who is he? He's Jesus, the one who's marked by sympathy. And the Son of God, he's the one who's marked by power. He's the one who can be merciful and faithful. He is the truly man and verily God. So we, we can hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He's Jesus. But it was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin or sin apart because he's the son of God. You see, there's, a, there's this beautiful symmetry. And you say, why is it important that it mentions sin apart here? Well, you're going to see that the high priest could not be defiled in any way or else he would not be able to represent. And so it's important that we understand what sin apart means or uh, apart from sin. Now, Bishop Westcott, BF, uh, Westcott um, has put it like this. I thought it was quite helpful. Um, 
he was tempted as we are, sharing our nature, yet with this exception, there was no sin in him to become a spring of trial. So in other words, it was completely apart from, not just apart from sinning. It's not just that he didn't sin, but, but that his temptation in that sense didn't have this dimension to it. There was nothing in him that would respond to sin, that could respond to sin. So he was completely distinct from sin itself. And this is a wonderful thing to remember. And he sympathizes not with our sins. I think this is really important, actually. He, he, he cannot sympathize uh, we, have, we have a high priest who, we have not a high priest, I should say, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He's one who does sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it is to be weary and tired and burdened and tried to the very limit of humanity. He, he has experienced it. We're going to see it in the next chapter. He has, he has gone into all these things. He's understood it. He's appreciated it in a way we never can. He, in all points, to every extent, he has entered into the experience of being human in a pure way. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We can come with confidence. There's no reason we need to worry because there's one and he understands every single need that we face. You say, Lord, I was so tired. I was shattered. I, I, I don't know. I, no, I, okay, so there's one who now represents us. And, you know, there's something else maybe should be said here. He's our saviour, past, present and future. We, we love those thoughts, don't we? He saved us from the, the power of, or the, the very... Uh, penalty of sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin in the future. We, we enjoy the th- thought of the Lord as the Saviour. Um, as an advocate, he is the one who deals with actual sins that we commit. So he's our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sin. And so the, the issue of our sinning never affects our relationship with the Father. Um, and, and so he is there representing us as our advocate as the one who is our legal, in that sense, representative in God's presence. And he is the one who is involved in our restoration. Um, okay, but in between those two, the one who is our saviour, who has taken away our sins. And in that sense, we're, we're, we're ready for heaven. We've been justified on the basis of his blood. And, and, and the one who is our advocate, so in, in the sense of, of entering into the circumstance and the ongoing enjoyment of, of the Father's love, and we need to appreciate him as our advocate. But in between that, there's the thought of him as our high priest, the one who also intercedes for us. He is the one who can aid us. He can stop us and can strengthen us so that we don't sin, so we don't um, fall into that temptation because we appreciate the work of our great high priest. How many sins we have been prevented from by our high priest who is in God's presence for us. Now this is important because you'll remember the story in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14 it brings out this idea of here's the king of Sodom coming with this little trickery and slippery idea in which he was going to entice um, Abraham to take all the goods for himself and therefore he could he could hitch his wagon as it were to Abraham's success and say well I was the man who made Abraham rich. And he has this clever scheme worked out. And and here in the middle of that scenario where Abraham was coming into temptation and danger, all of a sudden, bang! Well, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. 
the king of Salem stood in, stepped in. The one who is priest of the Most High God. Gave him an appreciation of God that he hadn't had before. And when he faced the king of Sodom after uh, coming in contact with that Melchizedek priest. Well, what happened was this. He was strengthened not to sin at all. And so that's the role of our great high priest uh, just now. Now, uh, I realise I'm running pretty late in time. So 10 minutes for the 10 verses of chapter 5. When we come into chapter 5, there's going to be a development. You, know, you see the word for at the start of chapter 5? That helps us because we know that either there's going to be an explanation of what's gone before or an expansion on what has gone before. So, for every high priest uh, taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, he's telling us just what a high priest is and what he does. We've already touched a little bit of this. That's why I gave you the background so that the jigsaw pieces hopefully will fall together now. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this he is required as for the people so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes his honour on himself but he is called by God just as Aaron was. So here we have first four verses of Hebrews 5. What we notice here is um, that we have authority and sympathy. We have one who is taken from among men and appointed for men. So he has this link to mankind, this closeness to mankind, and yet at the end of it, he's called by God. So there's there's sympathy, and then there's authority, okay, um, and and there's that kind of mediatorial role that we we mentioned about um, or, or already. Now, obviously, here it's not speaking about the Lord Jesus because obviously he didn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. He's just said he was apart from sin. So that can't be the thought here. But he's speaking generally about the high priest. And, and what he's saying is that, that these, this, this character, these characteristics of, of, of sympathy and authority were what marked him. And now he's going to say that. That was true of the Lord Jesus. So the same principle of being called by God, taken from among men because of the, 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 the nature of the work, um, is going to be seen in the Lord Jesus. So let's look at the rest of the chapter, verse 5 to 10. Uh, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, you're my son, today I've begotten you. As he also said in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll come back to that in a minute. What he's actually saying here is this, that he was divinely appointed. Just as Aaron was, he was. We mentioned this a wee bit already. But so, so the idea is that there's a parallel happening here. Aaron was appointed, so was the Lord Jesus Christ. Aaron was appointed in his own priesthood. The Lord Jesus Christ was appointed in the order of Melchizedek. Um, well, we'll maybe just um, point out a couple of things here. In contrasting these two priesthoods, um, we mention that both Aaron and Melchizedek were from among men and were called by God. That's chapter 5 we've talked about. Aaronic priesthood is inferior. Melchizedek's priesthood is superior. That's going to come out in chapter 7, verse 5. Aaronic priesthood is transferable upon death, whereas the Melchizedek priesthood doesn't mention anything about being transferable. Aaronic priesthood is limited to the Old Covenant. 
Melchizedek priesthood was before the Old Covenant was instigated. Aaronic priesthood was limited to the tribe of Levi. No limit placed on the Melchizedek priesthood. And therefore Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood couldn't be the priesthood from which the Messiah truly came or was called to. But the Messiah was really called to the Melchizedekian priesthood. And that is what's happened here. We have seen that all developed already now. Now, here we have it. Look at look at the next couple of verses. It's going to emphasize the Lord's fellow feeling with mankind, his closeness in, as as a true man, who in the days of his flesh, see that? So the days of his flesh is emphasized. Um his human life, if you like, um when he was down here, I mean. His human dependence is emphasized. He offered up even the, the, the very priestly action offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. And so this idea of him being heard is also emphasised. Now, when you think of this, I mean, different Psalms start coming into your head. Psalm 16, Psalm 22, and so on and so forth. But it's important we understand that this is saying that the Lord went to the full experience of and entered into the full experience of being a dependent man when he was here. Now he's already emphasized that he was not in any way compromised as to his sin, as to sin, because he had none and could not sin. But what it is emphasizing is that it was a real thing. He was really dependent. He was absolutely dependent and, and went to the full extent of that dependent in this excruciating verse which speaks of his vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now not from death in the sense that he would not die because of course the whole argument of the Hebrews is that he did die, he tasted death for every man that he entered into death but rather that he would be saved from death out of death if you like and that's the, how the word can be here. Uh, and he was heard because of his godly fear. So, so many people take this to Gethsemane and, and focus on Gethsemane. And that's right. You think of the awful, the, 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 the excruciating prayers and crying in, in, in Gethsemane and so on. But perhaps included also is the latter half of Psalm 22. Because you'll remember when he was on the cross that he speaks about being answered from the horns of the wild booth. He, he, he cries unto the Lord for deliverance and he experienced the assurance of deliverance um, even as it would seem on the cross. And, and so Psalm 22 I think is maybe in the background a wee bit here. Obviously the, the, there would be distinction as to the sin bearing but that's not what we're dealing with here at the minute. It's, it's this um, excruciating um, suffering into which he would enter. So, so though he was a son, or son though he was, um, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. How did he learn? Now, what's this mean? Well, he entered into the experience what it meant to obey, what it meant the cost of obedience, and, 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 and I mean, he went to the full extent of that. His the obedience for him led to the death of the cross. And so you remember it from the point of view of these people who are being called upon to obey and to stand for Christ in a very difficult circumstance. It might even mean their death. 
And they can all of a sudden remember that they have a high priest who did the very same thing. He understands what it costs. And having been perfected, he's been completely fitted. That's the thought. For this role that he now has, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. No, the author of eternal salvation. Because he can deal with everything along the journey and bring people safely home. He is the author of eternal salvation. Every aspect of that salvation, whether it's the salvation in the present sense of being preserved from um, the power of sin in our life, as well as the future sense of being away from sin eternally. Um, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, those who bow the knee to him, those who trust in him, those who obey him. That's the characteristic of true believers called by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And you think again of that beautiful picture of Melchizedek stepping in and saving the day with Abraham in that difficult scenario. Finally, let's just remember that this is our high priest. And he is the one who knows our deepest needs and has faced every temptation, trial that can face a human being. He has been pressed in every part of his being in in a way we can't fully comprehend. But he has been there. And so we come and we can, yes, he's not sympathetic with our sin in that sense because he's holy. But he is sympathetic with all the things that led up to our failure. And he is wanting to stop us from entering into that sin and that failure. And and so he is there as our great high priest. And we we often love the words, don't we? we? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair, Telling of evil yet within, upward I look and see him there. He made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And so we come into the good of the one who has and bears on his shoulders and place of strength our names and represents us. Who bears our names on his breast in that place of, of love And you remember on the breastplate, each name was dug in the individual stones. He knows our different qualities. He knows our value. He he appreciates us as individuals. He loves us as individuals. What a wonderful high priest we have in the presence of God. And he has actually made a way, we're going to think, that us as priests, we can actually worship with him. or we We can worship in the immediate presence of God. And so we can enter into the wonders of these things. So anyway, that'll do for now. Um, we will pick up the the whole subject of the greater priesthood in the next study, I think, as well. We'll be looking at, at chapter 7 and, and on into the, the book a little bit further. Thank you for um, thinking on these things with me and, and trust that you'll be blessed by our time thinking together. Thank you. God bless.